So if you normally have a hard time taking me seriously, it's going to be even worse today because I'm going to wear this. Um, what's the first thing that comes into your mind when I say the word gospel? Good news. Good news. Okay, good answer. Um, it's probably not the word kingdom, right? Last week, I introduced this series and I said three words you can sum up the gospel. Grace, Jesus, relationships. I didn't say anything about kingdom. But when Jesus talked about the gospel, when he talked about the good news, he was almost always talking about kingdom. And you see this over and over again in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the stories that record Jesus' birth and life and death and resurrection. Sometimes it's called the gospel of heaven in Matthew. Sometimes it's called the kingdom or the kingdom of heaven in Matthew or the kingdom of God in Luke and John. Sometimes it's simply called the kingdom. But this is a phrase that's repeated over and over again. And if we're going to explore what the gospel is and what the gospel isn't, if we're going to understand why it's good news, we have to look at this concept of kingdom. What was Jesus talking about when he talked about kingdom? In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, it says this. After John was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. So this is the good news. It's the good news of the kingdom. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. It's about to happen. It's about to be unleashed. Repent and believe the good news. So Jesus announced the good news, and he said this. The good news is the kingdom of God. And so if we're going to understand the kingdom, we have to, um, under, if we want to understand the gospel, we want to understand the good news, we have to understand the kingdom. He said it's about to be unleashed on the world, and he said this unveiling is going to be good news. So, once again, what do we think of when you hear the word kingdom? What comes into your mind when you, you hear the word kingdom? For some people, maybe it's the Netflix series, Kingdom. For me, it's Kingdom Hearts. Anybody ever play Kingdom Hearts? A bunch of spiky-haired people with a bunch of zippers on their clothes join up with Disney characters to fight darkness. I mean, that's like the greatest game of all time, in my opinion. Um, but when I think of kingdom, I usually think of a crown. The first time I ever taught a small group, I had a whiteboard in my class, and I drew pictures every, uh, every time that I taught. And they would keep track of how many times I dropped dry erase markers, because apparently I'm very flinchy. One time I was up to 9 or 10 drops in one 30-minute small group, so who knows how many times I'll drop this marker today. But just a heads up. So, when I think of kingdom, I think of a crown. I think of a king. But to the first century Jewish audience that Jesus was speaking to, the word kingdom would instantly bring something else to mind. They would instantly think about the Messiah. That's immediately what they thought about when Jesus talked about kingdom. And who was the Messiah? He was the long-promised God king who was promised to be a descendant of King David, Israel's greatest king, and he would set everything right. And Israel was super looking forward to this. And you have to understand why they were looking forward to this, because everything was seriously messed up in their world. And we can look at our country and you say, man, there's some things that's messed up, or you can look at our world and say there's some things that's messed up. But Israel was conquered by a pagan government called Rome. They were under constant watch by the Imperial Legion. They were heavily taxed and controlled. They were forced to obey any whim of a Roman officer. In fact, a Roman officer could kick in your door and demand that you carry their military backpack. It was Roman law. They could interrupt your life at any time and make you do what they wanted. 
a horrible way to live. And even worse, the religious leaders, instead of standing up to them, had got in bed with Rome in order to preserve their power, and such they had become rich and corrupt. So they couldn't even trust the religious leaders who were supposed to be encouraging them and supporting them. And so whenever Jesus said kingdom, they immediately thought, God has promised for a long time that there would be a Messiah. He would restore the relationship between God and man, but he would also set right the things that are wrong in our world. Remember what the angels announced when Jesus was born? In Luke 2, 10 through 12, it said, Good news! That's what the angels said. Your legendary, long-predicted king, your Messiah, is born in Bethlehem. And this will be good news for all people. So he wasn't going to just make things better for Israel. He was going to make things better for the world. So why is the kingdom good news? Why is Jesus as king good news? The Jews knew that Jesus was, the Messiah was coming to set everything that was wrong right. And the king coming was good news because the current king wasn't doing a good job. Right? We could look around in our world and recognize that the world is a mess. The king back in Jesus' day wasn't doing a good job. The king today isn't doing a good job. The world is a mess. The king of the world isn't making the world better or making it worse. See, to Jesus' kingdom meant reclaiming the world and the people in it. It's surprisingly hard to talk and draw at the same time. I didn't realize I'd have this problem. Um, that's my plan right there. Um, so when Jesus said kingdom, he says, I want to reclaim this planet and the people on it. I want to reclaim it because it is messed up. People get sick. People wake you up at 1.30 in the morning drinking. People get brain tumors, and people live in poverty. There is war and there is disease. And that problem is because right now, the person wearing the crown on this planet is me. It's you. The world is messed up according to the Christian faith because we're ruling, we're trying to be kings of this planet. Now, we know that Jesus... He's wearing the crown in heaven. Right. It's going to represent our heaven. And remember what Jesus said when uh, his disciples said, Hey, will you teach us to pray? And he says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's Matthew 6 10. <clears throat> I think that's really important to understand this concept here. In heaven, when God says something, it happens. It gets done. Things are done in heaven as he wants because he's the king. And the person wearing the crown is the ruler, and the ruler gets to make the rules. But on earth, Jesus hasn't been wearing the crown here. Who's been wearing the crown? I have. You have. Humans have decided we can rule ourselves. And you know what? This is the world that we've ruled. As you look around and you see how messed up stuff is, how broken stuff is, it's because we've been trying to rule ourselves. According to the Christian faith, the world is a mess because I want to wear the crown. I want to be king. And it's not just me. Before you throw rocks at me and like, this is your fault. You messed up this planet. You've done the exact same thing. Sometimes people tell me, they're like, I'm mad because God did this. This kid got sick. 
this person died. And I'm like, in heaven, God's wearing the crown. And he would never let that happen in heaven. On earth, I'm wearing the crown. This is my fault. This is your fault. According to the Christian faith, our world is messed up because we didn't want Jesus to wear the crown. We didn't want him to sit on the throne. We wanted to rule ourselves. If Jesus was on the throne of our world, if the crown was on his head, the world would look differently. In Romans 8, 22 through 23, it says, the entire creation is crying out. And not only everything that's created is crying out, but we too are crying out. We've seen the first steps of God's takeover of our planet in that he has given us the Holy Spirit. He lets us have a relationship with him. He begins to rule in our individual lives. But we still wait for our full adoption. You know, Darby and I are adopting. Some of you are wearing your adoption t-shirts. Thank you so much. Um, adoption is interesting because we're going to be matched with a child. We're going to spend tens of thousands of dollars to purchase that child, to pay for that child to become ours. It'll be legally signed off to us before we ever hold that child in our arms. We'll legally own or will legally be parents of a child long before we actually enjoy the physical presence of the child in our arms. And that's a little bit about what Jesus, uh, what the Apostle Paul is talking about here in Romans. We'll have paid for the child's care, we'll have prepared a place for the child in our home, but they will not yet enjoy a full relationship with us until we hold them into our arms, until they come home with us. Legally, Jesus bought the world when he died. He paid for it with his blood. It belongs to him. He's king. But he's not yet put the crown on his head. And so things are still messed And so when Jesus said, good news, there's a new king coming, he was saying the world's messed up, but good news, when I'm king, I'm going to make what's wrong right. And that's a message that's a good news for everybody. Somebody says, I'm not religious. You know what they can agree on? The world's messed up. There's corrupt leaders, there's sickness, there's disease, there's war, there's greed. They can agree that the world's messed up. And you can say, hey, good news. If Jesus was wearing the crown, the world would look different. Good news. He's legally bought it with his blood, but he's not yet sat on the throne of this world and made things right. Now imagine, let's use a metaphor here to try to follow along. Um, Justin says sometimes I use too many metaphors. He's like, people got it the first time and then you use four metaphors to defend it. But Justin's not here, so I'm going to use another one. <laughs> imagine you're in a company and it's horribly wrong. It has a super toxic climate. There's no vision and no leadership. I know some of you are like, I don't have to imagine that. That's my life. <laughs> imagine that Steve Jobs, in this imaginary scenario, Steve Jobs is still alive. Imagine he comes in and he says, I'm going to buy this company. Even though it's hemorrhaging money, I'm going to buy it at high personal cost to myself. I'm going to leverage all my resources. I'm going to buy this company. I'm going to become CEO of this company. I'm going to fix this company. I'm going to change the vision. We're going to do work that matters. And we are going to change this entire climate and culture of this company. Who's with me? That's exactly what Jesus did. Now, Steve Jobs might say, I've got to go away. I've got to finalize the paperwork. I've got to get all the merger stuff cleared. But I'm going to come back. And when I come back, we're going to set this company right. Now, 
in my absence, I want you who have already bought into my vision to begin to put into place the things that I would want done. Begin to implement some of my ideas and my vision, and I'm coming back, and when I come back, we're going to set everything right. But when I come back, if you haven't decided to decide with my vision about where I want the company to go, I'm going to have to let you go. That's exactly what Jesus has done. That's exactly what Jesus has done when he said, hey, I bought this company at a high price. I bought this world. But I'm coming back. While I'm gone, if you bought into my vision, if you believe that I want to make the world a better place, why don't you begin implementing my ideas? And when I come back, you'll be with me forever as we set things right. The church exists to exemplify the radical kingdom vision that Jesus has for the world. We exist to exemplify it on a microcosmic scale. We're supposed to show a small picture of what Jesus wants to do on a large scale. And I think, honestly, as churches, we've done a really bad job. Whoever looks at a church and is like, if that's what it looks like for Jesus to rule and reign, I want that in the world. But that's what we're supposed to be, a picture. Jesus has this beautiful vision of a gathering of people not divided by politics or race or economics. A gathering that exists for the good of those outside of themselves. A gathering that exists for the outcast, for the widow, for the orphan. A gathering that would lay down their life for their enemies and show kindness to those who are hurting. So when I look at how messed up our world, my one question is, Jesus, what's taking you so long? Like, okay, you've gone away. You say you're coming back to set things right. Well, there's a little four-year-old girl in John Hopkins who had a mass in her brain. I want you to come back and make this right. There's people who are uh, nine-year-old girls who are sold by their families into sex trafficking in Asia and abused by American businessmen who go over to China I'm like, Jesus, come back and make this right. I want justice. I want things to be fixed. There's people starving, people thirsty, people broken and lonely. And I'm like, Jesus, come back. Make this right. Why are you taking so long, Jesus? In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, Jesus is not lazy concerning his promise, as some men are slow and lazy. I think that's interesting that Peter mentions men here. Men are like that, but uh, he says, but Jesus is patient towards us, not willing that any should perish, but all should repent. Um, you probably know some guys, if you're a wife, you probably know a husband, Darby knows me. Sometimes she asks me to do something, and I'm like, I'm going to get to that. It, just not right now, or next week, or next month. I'm going to eventually get to it, but right now I don't want to get to it. I don't know. Maybe you're not like that. Hopefully your husband, your significant other, isn't like that, but... Sometimes I'm really slow to keep my promises. I tell her, I'm going to do it, but I'm like, I just forgot about it. I started doing something else. Jesus hasn't forgotten about us. He's not taking a long time because he's like, you know what? I just got busy with other things. Like, I, you know, there was something going on in heaven and I got distracted. He's not lazy. He's not slow concerning his promise. Second Peter 3 says, he hasn't come back to set things right because he's patient towards us. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should repent. He's waiting for more people to say, I believe in your vision, Jesus. I want to side with you. Because when he comes back, 
before he fixes the planet, he has to fix the people. And if people haven't sided with them, he has to say, you're not going to be part of the next step, the vision of where we're taking this planet. And so Jesus here tells us to do two things as a result of announcing the kingdom of God back in Mark chapter 1, verses uh, 14 and 15. He says, the kingdom of God has come near, and he tells us to do, to do two things as a result. He tells us to repent and believe the good news. So first of all, let's talk about repent. Um, it's almost never used in our common language. But you don't go to your kid who's messed up and say, you know what? You slapped your brother. I want you to repent of that. Like, nobody says that, right? It's become a church word that has no bearing in our everyday life. Repent means you've been going this way. We're going to call this your way. Your way of living and loving. And you're going to now go a different way. You're going to go Jesus' way of living and loving. You said, this is the way I live my life. I decide the rules. And now you're going to go in a new direction. You're going to say, I've tried living life my way, and it's a mess. The world's a mess because people want to wear the crown. My life's a mess when I try to wear the crown. Maybe I'll let Jesus wear the crown in my life and see if it changes my life around. You're going in a new direction. So imagine a subway acceptor train, and it's actually running, and it's actually on time, and you're like, this is the direction I've been going, and I've been getting to the wrong destination. I actually need to be going the other direction. I was in New York City a couple years ago, got on a train going the wrong direction, and I realized, oh, I'm getting farther away from the ferry, not closer to the ferry. Repenting is getting off of that train and getting on a train that's running the right way. So that is what it means to repent. You go in a new direction. <clears throat> We've acted as if we're king of our lives. To repent means to take off the crown and say, Jesus, why don't you wear the crown? Why don't you be the ruler? Why don't you make the rules? See, we've all been Leo on the bow of the Titanic at some point. Saying, I'm king of the world. I decide the way I want to live. I get to decide what's right and what's wrong. I get to decide how I'm going to live and love. Um, side note, I've never seen the Titanic, so I've only ever heard about this movie, but there were memes about it, so it must have really happened. Um, in the Bible, in Isaiah 53, 6, it says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And Jesus, in John 14, 6, says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through in fact, the early Christian church was not called Christians. If you read the book of Acts, they start gathering together, announcing that Jesus has come back from the dead, that he's changing their lives, and that they're living this countercultural community, and they're not like, hey, come be a Christian. Here's what they say. Come follow the way. They were called followers of the way. They had stopped living their way, and they started living Jesus' way. They had repented from going that direction, and we're going in a new direction. Repenting is saying, Jesus gets to make the rules for my life now. Jesus is a better king than I am. And you don't have to be around me very long. If I start wearing the crown, I make bad decisions. I'm not a good king. But Jesus is a great king. 
We turn from the way where we are king and we embrace the way of Jesus. We reject living the way we want to live and we embrace the way that Jesus lived and loved. See, Jesus hasn't come back yet to complete his hostile takeover of our rebellious world. But he invites us to repent and join him. And he's patiently waiting for more people to repent and side with him. And you say, the world's messed up, Jesus. Come back and fix it. And he says, I want to. But I want even more people to side with me before I come back and decide that it's time to decide who's with me and who's not. The other thing he tells us to do is to believe. And uh, belief is such a weird word in our culture. We usually think of belief as a mental affirmation of something. I believe it's true. I have this idea that that bridge will hold me. And so we say, I believe it. I've looked at the, um, the mathematical data and that bridge should hold me. That's belief. But actually in the first century, they didn't see belief this way. That's not how they saw belief. Belief wasn't something you did mentally. This is a result of Western thinking as a result of the Enlightenment. And we think that belief is something you do in your head. I can believe it and that means I mentally agree to it. But to the first century person, belief was something you acted on. You didn't, you could say that you believed the bridge was safe, but you didn't truly believe it until you put your weight on it. That's when it really became real. Not when you just thought about it, but when you acted on it. When you took action. When you actually built something. Not just when you had a uh, thought about something, you agreed to something, but when you actually acted on it. People want to see that the good news is more than something we just believe in our heads. They want to see that it's something that we practice. They want to see that it's something that's actually good. Not just something that we say is good, but something that we can show is good. I think that most of the time we assume that if people affirm the right beliefs, it'll lead to the right behaviors. But I don't think that's true. What I think is true is if we let people practice or experience the ways of Jesus, they will see that it is good, they will experience that it is true, and that will lead to them affirming the idea. Here's how we usually start in the West. We're like, there's a God. You have to believe it. The Bible is true. You have to believe it. And most of our culture is like, that's a lot for me to swallow. That's a big pill. Why don't we start here? Say, why don't you try living and loving like Jesus? See if it leads to you enjoying and experiencing a more life-fulfilling and more meaningful life. If they experience the good news, then they'll believe the good news. It's the reversal of what we usually think. But this is how our first century friends reading the scriptures would have seen it. Belief was something you acted on. It was something you experienced. It was something you participated in. It wasn't something you just sit quietly and say, oh, I agree with that. Okay, I can get on board with that. We have made belief something that you do with your head that never affects your hands. But the gospel is good news for me today.
Because through Jesus, I can live and love like Jesus. I can experience a relationship with God. I can be about putting his vision for the world into place on a microcosmic level in my life, in my family, in my community, in my city. In a small way, I can begin to reflect the big vision that he has for the world. The big vision that he's going to put into place when he comes back and he puts the crown on his head. And so the question I have to ask today is, have you repented? Have you been going your way and you decided to go Jesus' way? Have you believed? And that doesn't mean you just said, that could be, I could see that. I could see Jesus come back from the dead. seemed to be good evidence for that. Have you actually put the good news into practice and seen that it's good? I think we have a lot of people who's like, I believe that. That sounds good. But have you seen that it's good? Have you felt that it's good? I love the psalmist says, taste and see that God is good. Taste and see. Not think about it and say, yeah, that makes sense. Taste it. See it. Experience it. I'm not trying to convince someone that Jesus is God. I want them to experience Jesus. And I think they'll realize he is God. Have you sided with Jesus in his cosmic takeover of our world? He's coming to make things right. He wants us to join him. So the final question I have for you this. Who's wearing the crown in your life?